I remember when he walked by where we were fishing, where I was fishing, and he told me and a few of my buddies to follow him. No one was more surprised than me when we just dropped everything and followed him. I can look back now and know that that was the best decision I've ever made. We walked into towns, and immediately crowds showed up, and Jesus starts talking, and all of a sudden, it leads to miraculous healings. And before you know it, people are dancing in the streets. There was this one time, Jesus had been preaching for a while. You know how he got. And we approached him, a few of us approached him, and said, hey, Jesus, just want to mention, people are probably hungry. And they probably got a long walk back to their villages, too. Jesus turns to us and says, will you feed them? Long story short, we bring this kid to him with some food, and Jesus makes this small meal. You guys know which one it was, right? This small meal and turns it into enough food for 15,000 people. You should have seen it. The people were in awe. Anything Jesus would have said at that moment, the people would have done. As we got the move on, back on the road, a bunch of people approached Jesus and they wanted to join our group. Great, right? Now, Jesus comes back to them with some pretty harsh responses. He tells this one guy, if you join our group, you're going to be homeless. He tells someone else, if you got to go back and tell your family goodbye, forget about it. Talk about strict. This mission we are on is not for the faint of heart. Lorenzo, don't wear that outfit next week, buddy. I mean, it looks good, but... Amen. Yeah. Well, last week we started, and the kids now can be dismissed, right? So you're doing that. Last week we started on a series entitled Made for Mission. And we discovered that every person is called by God for a mission. Hear me today. Church, God created you individually, on purpose, for a purpose. You are God's unique masterpiece, created for a relationship with Him, and you're on a mission for Him. And as we looked at it last week, in that mission, we have about four options, or four main options. The first option is, we can... Simply ignore the mission. What mission? I don't see no mission. You're talking about a mission, it doesn't make any sense to me because I don't see a mission. I'm completely oblivious to the mission. We ignore the mission that is right in front of us. Second way that we interact with that mission is that we oftentimes will avoid the mission. We are on our way and realize that there's something there that we should be doing, but instead we just kind of walk around it. 
We go through our lives and say, oh my goodness, where did that come from? I'm going to get out of its way. We avoid the mission and we almost fall off the stage. The third thing that we do is that sometimes we consider it. We think about it. We might actually even accidentally bump into it every so often and say, oh yeah, the mission. But then we kind of get busy with life and responsibilities. The child is sick again. It's time to go up to the mountains one more time. And I'm just pretty busy right now. And so I might get back to that in a little bit. I mean, I know it's there and I know it's something that I need to do. And considering it is actually a good thing, bumping into it and doing it every so often is really great. But it's not the full picture of what Jesus is calling us to do. Because God is in this mission he's, and he's created us to be part of the mission. What he's asking us to do, actually what he's requ requiring us to do is to not ignore it, to not avoid it, not even consider it but to actually live on it so that everything that we do has as its focus the mission of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been looking at is what is that mission that we've all been called to? The mission of souls for the kingdom. Now this mission is not hard to discover today. This mission, God's not hiding it from us. This mission, in fact, God is more excited than we are in seeing us use our gifts to live out the reasons that he's made us in the first place. Just like Sandy was saying just a moment ago, God has gifted me, I want to use this for his glory. And so she says, okay, I'm going to be discipling some people. And we're going to talk about God's word. And that's great, but you may not... Be called to that, but there's something that God has called you to do. Whatever your passions are, whatever your giftings are, whether it's something that is inside the church or outside of the four walls of the church, every breath we take, every word we say, every step we take, everything about our lives should be and must be on mission. And the mission is for souls. And so this is my goal, my hope for us in this sermon series, that we would actively live out our lives on mission, that mission for which we were made. We learned last week that we are all called, we are all called, not some of us, not the select, no, not those of us who have a reverend in front of our names, not just a few, but we are all called. Ministry is not just for just a few of us, but it's for all Jesus' followers. So if that's the case, then the obvious question should be so, what am I called to do? What is my mission? And that's what we're going to talk about today. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 9. And if you don't bring your Bibles, start bringing your Bibles. Bring your Bibles. I want you to know where Luke is in the Bible. In that Bible, that book, that precious book, the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. In the New Testament, open up to the book of Luke chapter 9. And we're going to turn to verse 51. Now, this is Jesus, this is a description of what Jesus is doing. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, in other words, as he was heading towards Jerusalem, as he knew that his moment to be crucified was about ready to take place, it's, as, he, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Say that word resolutely with me. Resolutely. Resolutely. Jesus was a man on a mission. 
He resolutely set out to lay down his life for the sake of other salvation. Aren't you thankful that Jesus was resolute in what he did for us so that we could be here today and come boldly before the throne of grace and have a relationship with God the Father through the finished work of Jesus Christ? Aren't you thankful that Jesus was resolute? Aren't you thankful that Jesus is not a wishy-washy Savior? He's not a circumstantial Savior. Jesus was resolute. What does resolute mean? It means having a firm determination. It means to be steady. It means to be unwavering. It means to be fixed. And that's what Jesus is calling us to be. Jesus made it clear that the mission of those who follow him was the same as his. Followers must lay down their lives on a daily basis for the sake of others being saved. Let me say that again because I know that that just passes from one ear to the next. Followers must lay down their lives on a daily basis. How many is a follower of Jesus this morning? Then Jesus is requiring you. He's calling you resolutely to lay down your life on a daily basis for the sake of others being saved. Do you hear me this morning? We have been called to do what Jesus did, and that is to lay down our lives on a daily basis so that others would be saved. Now, this isn't just a one-time event. This is a mission of our daily lives. It's a daily basis from now until Jesus returns. No vacations on this. Our mission is way bigger than ourselves, and it's even way bigger than the people that we serve. It's part of a worldwide movement that Jesus started some 2,000 years ago, and it's going strong, by the way. Now, for those of you today who might be brand new in your relationship with Jesus, and you're still just trying to learn and grow in, in it and trying to figure this thing out, you might be thinking, well, that might be your mission, Pastor, but that's certainly not mine. Okay. Let me just say I understand that because today is still huge for you because as you're trying to figure out what a relationship with Jesus means, I want to add to this for you to consider that mission is a foundational part of it. Just as I stood on this box a few moments ago that says missions, we all, as followers of Christ, should be as a foundation, living our lives missionally. God's not just inviting you to come to church on Sundays, once a month, twice a month, Easter and Christmas, whatever. And salvation is not just your ticket to heaven one day. Well, I'm saved, so I'm good. Well, good, but that's not it. That's not the full picture of it. Jesus is actually inviting you to join him in his massive mission where he's already at work all over the world. Now, on the other hand, if you've been a follower of Christ for a while and would consider yourself a more mature Christian, you might be nodding your head and you might be thinking, okay, God's mission is my mission. Great, got it. What's next? Well, if you're anything like me, it's a lot easier to nod along, but it's a lot harder to live it out. You know, as the old saying goes, easier said than done. And I get that. You see... We may be intellectually believing our primary mission is to join God in what he's up to. I will probably get some hearty amens to that today, but it's up to us to practically live it out. And really, it's hard to practically live it out. It's really something totally different than just believing it in your mind. If this is the case, then today could get a little bit uncomfortable for you. But just remember... 
Don't shoot the messenger. That's why I'm standing behind the pulpit. Because this invitation is from Jesus. It's not from me. I'm just relaying it to us today. And I hope that you'll receive it. I want you to write the word distraction down if you're taking notes. In fact, if you're not taking notes, I'll wait for you to get out your journals or whatever that you're writing on and begin to take some notes. You're going to remember a whole lot more as you write it down. Write the word distraction down. I think one of Satan's most powerful tools to get Jesus' followers off of mission is the weapon of distraction. Now, if you have a cell phone, I usually don't ask you to do this, but if you have a cell phone, I want you to go ahead and pull it out for a moment. Just go ahead and pull it out of your pocket. Some of you might already have it in your hands already. What do you mean pull it out? I'm holding it. Yeah. But if not, pull it out. Just pull out your cell phone. I'll just give you a few moments. As you're doing that, I want to give you a few interesting statistics. The average person checks their cell phone, get this, 110 times a day. 110. That works out to nine times an hour. Yeah. 84% of the worldwide cell phone users report not being able to go a single day without their phone in their hand. Like you're holding it right now, over eight out of 10 people pretty much just have it surgically attached because otherwise, why not, right? And listen to this for all of you who have teenagers and people in their 20s. 50% of teens admit to being addicted to their cell phones. It's simply something that they can't live without. I would venture to say that, Pastor Matt, you probably would say amen to that. You've probably seen some of that in the youth group, right? Yeah. And by the way, it's not just our cell phones. You can put the phones back away if you want to, if you can detach yourself from it. It's not just your cell phones. It's also television for some of us older people who can't even figure out what the cell phones are all about. How do you turn this thing on, right? We know what a remote's all about, though, don't we? There's the internet, there's social media, there's video games, there's so many other things such as these that are a distraction to us. We get easily distracted all the time. Let me give you an example. When you're driving down the interstate or you're driving down a city street, how often do you look at the billboards or maybe the people that are walking by or some other sort of something that catches your eye? You know what I'm talking about, right? All of a sudden you realize, oh, wait a minute, I gotta drive. There's people in front of me. There's cars in front of me. I can get in an accident, but we just, we look. Those billboards are, are there for us to look. I'm surprised that those things are legal, but there they are. And we just watch and we're looking around left and right. We're easily distracted. And so there's some outward things, but also how about this? There's some internal thoughts that maybe we have. Those are highly distracting. We can go from one thought to the next to the next and be completely oblivious to someone talking to us or a need around us. In fact, today, I would venture to say that you're probably distracted by some of the things that I'm saying and you're thinking about, I don't know, what's going to be happening this week, where you're going to go out to eat after church, something that took place yesterday that you're still dwelling on, we're distracted. Have you ever looked up and realized that someone was talking to you and you didn't hear a word they were saying because you were so engrossed in your distraction? Please don't say, huh? Did he say something? We distract ourselves in so many ways. We're probably the most distracted generation that's ever been because we have the most ways to be distracted. I think that we can all agree that we live in a distracted culture. In fact, here's the truth of it. If Satan can't make you bad... 
that he's going to make you busy. He's going to do anything to distract you away from the mission. In a recent survey of 80% of churchgoers, that's all of us folks, eight out of 10, in other words, said that they believe that they have a personal responsibility in sharing their faith. Eight out of 10. I wish that was 10 out of 10. But it's 8 out of 10 that says, yeah, I got a personal responsibility. Okay, so we'll take that 8 out of 10. But listen to this. A whopping 61%, so that's 6 out of 10, say that they haven't, haven't shared Christ in the past six months. So the majority of us in church know what the mission is, 8 out of 10, and the, and, and the importance of it. But 6 out of 10 of us, somehow it's not impacting the way that we live. Six out of ten is the majority. This is a real problem in the church. What's going on? And how can we remedy this in our lives? Uh, Let's see. Let's see. We're still in Luke chapter 9. There's three distracting or what I'll call competing missions that most of us live on. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is walking along the road when he's confronted by three different people who express their desire to follow him. We just saw this in the monologue this morning where one of the disciples shared that sort of reflection. We were just walking along and these people were saying, I want to join you. And Jesus felt like he was kind of being rude and kind of being like really harsh. Then all three of these people that talked to Jesus, they gave a reason as to why they couldn't follow him. I want to, but I just can't. In this passage, the Holy Spirit identifies and calls out three distracting missions that compete with the mission that God has called us to. And if we let it happen, they will trap us and consume us and lull us into a slumber while at the same time pull us away from the mission for which Jesus has made us. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Let's read along. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So that's the first one. Second one, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the second one. Here's the third one. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And then Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, these three responses by Jesus may all seem harsh on its surface. I mean, think about it. What's wrong with having a roof over your head? Nothing. What's wrong with burying your loved ones? Nothing. What's wrong with even saying goodbye to your family? Nothing. Reasonable and loving and responsible people do these things all the time. And it would seem really odd not to do them, in fact. So if, if these are reasonable and if these are loving ways to be, then what Jesus, what's he really saying to us here? Why is he saying these things? I believe, I believe he's saying this because it's to point, the point that he's trying to make is he's trying to expose us in a, in, as a matter of our hearts, as I say this all the time, with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, it's always a matter of our hearts when it comes to the things of his kingdom. Jesus is simply exposing the reality that our hearts get distracted away from him and our purpose in him, that mission 
in him in ways that keep us from fulfilling his plan for our lives. So what are these three distracting and competing missions? Here's the first one, if you'll write it down. It's the mission of comfort. The mission of comfort. First up is this man ready to follow Jesus, and Jesus says that this mission may lead to homelessness. We don't hear how this person responds, but it's heavily implied that this was a deal breaker for him, and so he walked away. He was interested in following Jesus as long as it didn't take him out of his comfort zone. This is a huge thing for us. It reminds me of the encounter Jesus had with a young rich man who had asked Jesus how he could enter into God's kingdom. After Jesus said to follow the commandments, the rich man responded in Mark chapter 10, verses 20 through 25. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. So there's a compassion, a heart of love towards this, this rich man. And then he said, one thing you lack, Jesus said this, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Very familiar passage. But what Jesus was saying was, and here's the thing, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows what's keeping us from doing that mission. He knows where our comforts are. And so he calls us and he challenges us to say, stop being comfortable. With this man, it was his riches. With us, it could be something else. But he's calling us out of that comfort to say, you might experience poverty. You might experience homelessness. You might experience whatever it is that you might experience. And he's calling us to say, where is it that your heart is? I want you to just think about the, all the things that Jesus had his disciples do. He sent them out for weeks at a time with no cash, he, he had, with no extra clothes, with no fallback plan. Ultimately, Jesus would model this comfort zone-less life by dying on the cross through six hours of excruciating pain and torture. Have you ever prayed before going on a long journey, Lord, keep us safe? Nothing wrong with that. It's a good prayer for sure. But what if Jesus is more about making us dangerous followers of him and less about keeping us safe all the time? Have you found in your own life that the times you grow the most are when you're the most uncomfortable and need to trust Jesus the most? Right? Isn't that the time that you run to him? I know that's true for me. To, let me put it another way. You don't need to ask the Lord Jesus Christ for safety when you're sitting in your easy chair. Imagine your favorite recliner at your house. You're sitting there flipping through the channels and drinking your iced tea, just having a good old time. Lord, keep me safe. From what? But how about maybe if you're holding on to a branch because you've stumbled off of a cliff and the only thing that, you're, that you got between you and the, you know, the hundred feet below you is a cry out to Jesus. Lord, help me. That's the time you cry out, is it not? Figuratively speaking, as we're dangling off the side of our cliff in, in, in our lives, we cry out for Jesus to help us, to rescue us, to, to get us out of our fix. Our world is obsessed with safety, and our world is obsessed with comfort. 
I want you to look at some of these pictures, some popular items that are being sold today. I want you to look at this first one. It's the hoodies. You got a couple of people laying down. That, see that? You think, oh, that's pretty cool. They're just laying down with some hoodies, a couple of young people. You know what those hoodies are? They inflate into pillows. The hoodie inflates into a pillow. That's awesome. Who came up with that idea? Hey, I got it. Let's make it inflate into a pillow. These people are enjoying the comforts of a hoodie inflated pillow. How about this next one? A pillow. Well, no, let's go to the, let's go back. There's a guy who is laying down, placing a pillow. Oh yeah. See that? He's got a little hole there in his arm. So how do you, where you put your arms? So something as specific as making a little place for your arm to go through so you can enjoy the pillow. That's pretty cool. Okay. I'm not sure I'd use it, but there that is. How about this alarm clock that makes into a coffee maker? You see that one? <laughs> so you set the timer for whatever time and the smell of coffee. Now that's ingenious right there. You don't even have to get up to have your first cup of coffee. Can I hear an amen? amen. Wow, you guys. I'm, some of you right now are looking at Amazon.com. You're like, where is that? They'll deliver this by tomorrow, babe. We'll have it. It's going to be at our door tonight. We can start tomorrow with this thing. I got it. I know what you're doing. And then this last one, I think it speaks for itself. Just, you know, toilet paper. It just speaks for itself. It's a convenience. And I'm thankful for that, by the way. You know, I know you're looking up that coffee maker. In fact, you're so distracted enough, you're looking it up right now. In fact, the only thing that probably just getting out of this message today for some of us is that I'm so thankful that God allowed me to see that there's a coffee maker slash alarm clock. That's the only thing you're going to get out of this message because you're so distracted. In fact, go to the store this week, Walmart, Target, wherever it is that you go. And see how many items that you can find that simply exist for the one reason to make your life more comfortable. There's a ton of products out there to make things easier for us. See, what happens when the mission of comfort comes in conflict with the mission of Jesus? You got the mission of comfort, and then you have the mission of Jesus. What happens when the mission of comfort comes in conflict with the mission of Jesus? What if Jesus is calling us to be homeless, to be poor, to be without those things that we are talking about. Not to say that we need to go out and sell our house and live on the streets. Not to say that we need to give everything that we own and be penniless. But Jesus knows our hearts. What happens when the comfort conflicts with the mission of Jesus? What happens when comfort becomes bigger, a bigger deal in our life than Christ? I'll tell you what happens. Comfort wins. And that's what Jesus is trying to point out to us. For many of us in the church, that cost is too great. And that's why we remain part of the six out of ten that doesn't share in the mission of telling someone about Jesus. Jesus is saying to us today that we need to count the cost before following him. So it's the mission of comfort. Here's the second one. It's the mission of commitments. Jesus turns to another person and initiates the conversation. This is the only one that he actually invites. He says, follow me. But then the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Bury my father. Jesus said back to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, first, again, this seems like a really pretty harsh statement of Jesus. I'm picturing a dad on his deathbed, and Jesus tells the son to leave him there alone and just let him figure out how to bury himself and follow him. Now, who would say that to someone? 
No one would say that to anyone. But really, it's not saying that. Jesus is not saying this. We really don't know for sure that this man's dad was on his deathbed. He didn't say, my dad's just moments away from dying. Let me go take care of the funeral arrangements. It just says that this man wanted to take care of his commitment to take care of his father so that one day when he did die, and up until that time, that he would devote as his first priority the best energies to make sure his dad was okay. If the man's father had already died, he would have been occupied with the burial, but evidently he wanted to wait until after his father's death, which might have been even potentially years away. In this example, Jesus clearly conveys that there is an urgency. Write that word down, urgency to the mission that he's called us to. There is an urgency in sharing the gospel, in living out the mission, whether it be a father, whether it be a mother, or whether it be any other family member or members. Yes, we need to take care of them. Absolutely. Don't you dare abandon your mom, your dad, your mo- or anybody else that is, that, that is in need of your assistance right now. But following Jesus as he is requiring of us to do is not something that we pick up eventually when our schedules finally have some breathing room in it, but instead it becomes our first priority immediately. The man says two words and they make all the difference. He says, Lord, first, let me. Lord, first. There wasn't anything wrong with wanting to take care of his father. The problem was putting this as priority over following Jesus. This man should have said instead, first, Lord, whatever you're calling me to do, Jesus, I'll do that first. This is not just for the sake of being obedient, by the way, because it's also for our own blessing. Did you know that God wants to bless you? He wants to bless you. And when you put things in the right order, you're going to live your best blessed life in him. Who wants to live out your best blessed life? Then live it in him. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these very familiar words in Matthew 6.33. He says, seek, seek, seek. Second, seek eventually. Seek down the road sometimes. Seek First, say that with me, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things, the second, the third, the fourth, the 10th, the 20th, all around the road, all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. Jesus promises that if we place his kingdom first in our lives, above our family, above our careers, above our plans, above our possessions, above everything, then he's going to take care of all these other things that we love to stress about. So there's a lot of things that maybe you've told Jesus, yes, first, yes, but first, I'll serve you, but first, let me go through this busy season. But, but first, I'll give, Lord, but first, let me get this promotion. I'll share my faith, but first... Let me get more comfortable in my own walk with God. I'll spend time reading my Bible in the morning, but first... Let me push the snooze button a few times. While many of the commitments you've made may be really good and honorable, and they are, Jesus still tells us that his mission must come first. Matthew 19, 29 says, And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, fields, for my sake, will receive it a hundred times as much 
and will inherit eternal life. In other words, you can't outgive God. God's going to bless you. God's going to take care of the rest of the stuff. Plus, eternal life is a bonus. Isn't that awesome? So instead of saying, Lord, first, how about say, first, Lord? Here's the third distraction. It's the mission of competition. As Jesus continues to walk, another man approaches and he says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first, <laughs> let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And then Jesus turns to him and replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So once again, it seems like a really harsh response from a very unreasonable Jesus. I can't imagine dropping everything to go on a mission trip with a man I just met without at least letting my family know, hey, Lord, or hey, Mom, hey, Dad, uh, I'm sorry I didn't tell you that I went to Africa for a month, but time was of the essence. I mean, that sure seems like it would be an incredibly irresponsible thing to do. By the way, keep in mind, as you know, this was a world before cell phones or social media, so we couldn't just text or even post a message from the road. Hey, just wanted to tell you, I'm on my way to Africa. Sorry, I didn't have time to tell you. Notice once again that this man had something of a disorganized words. He says, Lord, but first. There's absolutely nothing wrong with telling your family where you're going. <laughs> but notice in the same sentence that he's informing Jesus that he'll follow him, but he's also exposing a divided heart. I want to do this, but as I'm looking ahead, I'm also looking back. How many knows that it's impossible and it's deadly to drive forward while looking behind you? I want you to, don't, don't try this, but I want you to imagine. Please don't try this. Go down I-77. Imagine you're going down I-77. We're going to Charlotte. All right, we're all in the car. You guys are in the back seat I'm driving. I got that thing at 65 miles an hour. It's really 70, but don't tell anybody, okay? 65. And the whole time I'm driving, I'm going, hey, you guys. So how's it going? What's happening, you guys? And I'm just steering and driving, flying down the interstate. How many knows that maybe in just a few moments, I'm going to hit a car, I'm going to hit a guardrail, I'm going to do something where I can be extremely hurt, and you can as well, or we can be killed. I can just see you in the back seat going, turn around. Look forward. What are you doing? Are you crazy? But we do that in our lives. We have a divided heart. There's this competition for our attention today. You might be saying, you know, I've, I've heard the, I've actually, by the way, I've heard the word but completely impacts whatever was said just before it. Think about it. I agree with you, but, well, then you don't agree with me. I love you, but, well, then, you know, you really don't love me. I'm all in, but, well, then you're not all in. I'll follow you, but, well, then, you're not really following me, are you? There's a competition for our attention today, and Satan wants to keep us making us, he wants us to keep looking back. Looking back at our shame, looking back at our failures, looking back at our hurts, 
looking back in regret. He wants us to live in regret for our past. How many knows what I'm talking about this morning? I wish I hadn't have wasted the first 20 years of my life, the first 30 years of my life. I wish I hadn't made that decision. I wish I hadn't done that thing. I wish I hadn't said that thing. I wish, I wish, I wish. We regret, we regret, we regret. We're driving forward and yet we're looking back the whole time. It's a divided heart. But the mission God has called us to must be seen as a reward, not as a regret. Jesus calls us to stop looking back in uncertainty, to stop looking back in anxiety, to stop looking back in shame, to stop looking back in regret, and to look forward, embracing His calling with confidence and with peace and with joy for our reward that we have in Christ Jesus. At one point, Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says these words, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. I'm not going to strain behind. I'm going to strain ahead. I'm not going to lean back. I'm going to press forward. I'm going to forget the stuff that's behind me and be reminded of what God has for me in the front of me. Satan doesn't want us to forget about the past. He wants us to live in it. He wants us to dwell on it. He wants us to be bound by it. And he wants us to be controlled by it. And he wants us to be kept ineffective because of it. But when Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. We are victors in Christ. He's got a great plan for your life. Stop living in the past. Stop living in that divided heart. And let's move forward on mission. I was talking to someone this week about this. Conversation with someone who says, I feel so unqualified at times to speak into other people's lives because of my past failures, because of my stuff, because of the things that are going on in my life. And I totally get that. I feel the same way, believe me. I feel so unqualified to be behind this pulpit. Because I know of my past failures. I know of my mistakes. We've all, I stand behind this pulpit today, not a perfect man. I don't stand here today trying to prove to you that I've made no mistakes. I've made my share. But we've all made mistakes, have we not? But if we look, if all of us look back at the awful stuff we've done, and convince ourselves that we're unqualified to share Jesus today, then who would be left to share Jesus? I'll tell you the answer. No one would be able to share Jesus. You see the trick that Satan's trying to play on you? Oh, you've messed up. You're in a bad situation. You shouldn't have done that 20, 10, 15 years ago, whatever. So what makes you think you have the right to say anything to anybody today? If he can shut all of us up that way because we live in the past, that divided heart of regret and shame... And he wins. And our testimony is squelched and silenced. Don't let that happen. Open up your mouth. Look forward. We're all called. And aren't you thankful that God uses our mistakes? God uses our past. He uses our failures. He uses our shortcomings. He uses all of those things to help others along as they're struggling today. That's our mission. We just have to throw away All those buts. 
but I'm not qualified. But I've made too many mistakes. But I'm too busy. But I don't know what to do. There's some big butts out there, is there not? Our big butts compete with the mission God has called us to join Him in. One T. Many things in our lives compete with God's mission. Making money, appearing successful in the world's eyes, having everything you want, staying healthy, having your kids turn out perfectly, good luck with that one. And while these things may be good and fine and acceptable by the world's standards, these buts regularly compete with what God's mission is of resolutely walking with Him no matter the cost. I want to play you a funny video that has a play on words that will prove my point. The truth is, based on statistics, at least six out of ten of us have really, really big butts. God help us, right? <laughs> you know, last week we learned that if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're called by Him. That doesn't necessarily mean that you'll actually live out your calling, though. We can mentally agree, but never physically walk it out. We, we have a choice today to completely ignore it. We can mostly avoid it. We can occasionally consider it, or we can fully live on mission. It's a conscious, intentional choice that each of us make. We prioritize above all things the calling, above our comforts, above our commitments, above our competition to fulfill the mission that God's called us to. Just like Jesus, he resolutely walked towards Jerusalem even though he knew what lay ahead for him there. So we must also intentionally and resolutely be determined, be firm, be steady, be unwavering, be fixed in our following Jesus in his mission above all else. We get our butts out of the way and do as Matthew, our disciple, did today and, rest, and, and really the rest of the disciples of Jesus. And all those, by the way, throughout the course of church history who've made a difference as they did and accepted the invitation to follow him and that's what God is calling us to today. I want you to write down the word humility as we close out here today. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I asked you this, what if when we looked in our mirrors, we didn't see our face, but instead we saw our character? If we were to do that, the primary character trait that Jesus is needing from us more than any other when it comes to understanding what our mission is, is humility. Will I lay down my own comforts? Will I put in the proper order my other commitments? Will I stop having a divided heart with the things that compete for my time, my treasure, and my talents to resolutely follow Jesus? James 4, 6, there's a lot of scriptures about humility, but this one speaks to it probably the best. It's so succinct. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to humble. I don't know about you, but I sure don't want God to resist me or to oppose me. How about you? I need God's grace. How about you? So I better live humbly before God, and I better live humbly before man. 
because it's His grace that's poured into me. And as His grace poured into me, and then that grace can then be poured out into others. You know, this is a little bit of a differentiation here, but listen to this, the way that I say it, this next phrase. Jesus is not about creating a following. Jesus is all about making followers. He's trying to make us into his image. Simply saying that you will follow him is not enough. So I want us to close here today. I have some pieces of paper that I would like to hand out to everybody. You can just remain seated in the ushers, if you will. We'll come and do that now. Maybe have a few people help you out, you guys, so that we can get this done quickly. As these papers are being handed out, I want you to just think for just a moment this. And don't worry about the papers. They'll come to you in just a moment. But I want you to ask this question, and maybe you're writing it down on this paper. And you might have to borrow a pen or a pencil, somebody to help you, you know, so you can write something down here. Because you're going to write something down in just a few moments. But I want you to ask this question. I want you to be silent in your heart about this. I know there's a lot of distractions going on right now, so I'm just going to wait for these papers to be handed out because I want to make sure you get this question undistracted. Let it absorb in you. At home, too, if you're home, I want you to get out a piece of paper, something to write with, something to write on. And I want you to take a moment or two, and I want you to reflect on this question. Does everybody have a piece of paper? Who needs a piece of paper? Anybody? Raise your hands if you don't have one. Okay. They're coming right over there to you, Bob. Anybody else need a piece of paper? Okay. Very good. Now, I want you to, I want you to just bow your heads. I don't want you to look around because this is, uh, this is an important thing for you to reflect in your heart, not a person looking around. This will just take your eye gate away, and you can really focus on your heart right now. And I want you to ask this question to the Lord right now. God, do I have any distracting missions in my life that need to die today? Is there anything in my life that's distracting me from the main mission that you've called me to? And if I do, what is it that needs to die today? That's a good question. Stay there with that. Don't move from that. Don't open up your eyes. Stay reflective of that. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Are there any comforts that you've made more important than Christ? Reflect on that. Are there any other commitments that you've been saying, but first, before you can fully follow Christ's call on your life? Reflect on that. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What about this? Are there any competing missions that might be good, things that you've been looking back and regret on that are controlling and managing what you can do today and those things have become more important than your calling to know Christ and to make him known what is it if anything that is a distraction that you need to have die today it's a distraction away from your mission in life to be on mission with Christ I want to give you an opportunity now to write those things down maybe it's one thing maybe it's two write it down write it down What is it that you're putting before God's mission? Write it down. It could be a simple little phrase. It could be one word. Write it down at home too. Write it down. Be honest with yourself. God already knows. And you're not in trouble, by the way. This is not a thing where God's mad at you. 
He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. He cares for you. Think about when Jesus was looking at the rich man, when Jesus said, hey, you got to sell, you know, all you have. He says, right before that, it says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Total stranger. Hey, I want to follow you. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus is looking at us today and he's loving us through this. He's not mad at you. He just wants to see you make the adjustment because he's calling you away from your distractions and into a place where you can lay them at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, in place of that, I want to be on mission with you and let you be my first priority. Jesus first. His kingdom first. What is it? By the way, as you're writing it down, that's an important step. And he's here to help you He's here to help you with this. He's here to help you die to yourself. He's here to help you make that transition, that step, that leap, that move, that adjustment in your life. He's not asking you to do this in your own strength, with your own willpower. He's saying to you, how about it? If you'll write it down, if you just confess it, just like you can't forgive yourself of your sins, but the Bible says you confess your sins and then he'll forgive. If you confess these things that are competing missions with you, distracting missions in your life, confess them. Boy, it's good to write them down. And then Jesus says, okay, let me help you with that. And he will. He will. And it's a journey. It's a process, step by step. I'm going to ask each of you to stand up now that you've written these things down. Fold it in two. This is nobody's business but yours and the Lord's. Just fold them in half. Just fold them in half. And everyone, if you will, stand up. And I, I, please don't sign your name to them. Okay? Stand up with me, if you will. I'm going to ask you to make one more step. One more step. And then as you're watching from home as well, I want you to do the same thing. You know, oftentimes I ask you to come to the altar because moving out from where you are physically is also an inward sort of thing where you're kind of moving out of where you were into where God has you to be. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing today. And you just make a step, not just out to the altar, but I want you to take that piece of paper. And I won't look. No one else is going to look. In fact, we'll just, I'll just collect them all at the end and I'm not going to know who's doing what. And we'll just put them away. I don't know your writing. I don't know who you are. That's fine. But there's something about laying them at the altar, at the foot of the cross. Let let this be the foot of the cross right here, okay? If you wrote something down, big stuff, small stuff, one or two things, whatever, slip out, come down, and just lay it at the altar, wherever you want to. It could be way over there, way over there, somewhere in the middle, anywhere in between. What is competing right now? What is distracting you? Just lay it down at the foot of the altar. And once you do that, just walk away. And just step back and let some other people, let some other people do it. Let some other people do it. Just come bring it down and just go back to your seat. You don't have to stay here. Not unless you want to. Yeah. Good. The Lord sees. See, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. And you know what you wrote down. You don't need to say, gee, do I remember that? I hope I can remember that. You know. You know. You can remember that. You knew because the Lord's been speaking to you through this whole service and he's been putting that in your heart. What, to, what it is that's distracting. This is good. Now, Lord, you see these things. And once you get back to your seat, I want to pray over you. 
set them right there in the altar. There's still some other people coming. It's good. Past regrets, struggles in your life, priorities that are misplaced. Now I want you all to bow your heads. And I'm going to pray over these pieces of paper that represent these distractions in your life. God knows exactly what you wrote down, and he's here to help you. I want you to, if you will, I don't usually ask you to do this, but would you join hands with someone next to you? And I just want you to pray for that person. Let's come together in agreement. If you're not seated next to someone, conveniently slip on in, move to the next aisle, whatever you got to do. And if you're at home today, right as you've written that that distraction down, if you've gotten up and placed it maybe at your fireplace or in front of your TV (laughs) or wherever it is that you need to put it, then walk back to where you are. If you're by yourself, okay, we're going to join hands with you and hearts with you. If you're with someone else, join hands with them as well. And let's pray together right now. Jesus, you know these things that are in our hearts that are distractions to us, that are competing and really in a lot of times winning in our purpose and mission for you. Father, whether it be our comforts, whether it be uh, our, our divided heart because we're looking in the past or whether it be the things that are just more like commitments that we have. Father, all these things are are good. Satan uses these in such a subtle way. And Lord, we're not saying that we don't have a need to have a roof over our head or clothes on our back or food in our stomach or money in the bank. We're not saying that we don't need to take care of our families. Uh, Lord, those are important things. But Father, help us to not place anything before you. Let you be first. Let your mission be first. These things that we wrote down, Lord Jesus, you know what they are. And I, Father God, I just pray that you take these things that were written down and that you'd work right now into the hearts and the lives of each person that wrote these things down. And that you'd help each one of us as a journey, as a process, one step at a time, one decision at a time, to put you first in our lives in every way, to let your mission be the mission that is paramount to anything else. And then all these other things will be added unto us. Father, I also want to pray for any past regrets right now. The shame, the remorse, the struggle, the I wishes, that things would be different, all the past that we look back in a distracted way. It's impossible for us to move forward while we're looking back. So, Father God, I pray that those things would be once and for all under the blood and that we would stop letting Satan win in reminding us of our past. You want to use us today. You've got a plan for us today. You've got a mission for us today. And yesterdays, all of our yesterdays are there for your good and for your glory and for your kingdom. What the devil meant for evil, God, you're going to turn it around for good in our lives and for your glory. That's what we stand on. So any regrets, any shame, any past things that have got us bound and that have shut us up and make us feel like we're unqualified and unworthy, I come against those in the name of Jesus. Father God, I thank you that your word says that he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And today we're free in you. The chains that would try to bind us, the things that would try to keep us down are under our feet in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now I thank you, Lord, that you're going to help us to take the excuses and the reasons and the buts that we have that keep us from doing for you. And that we would say, Jesus, you're first. Your kingdom is first. Your mission is first. And then you're going to let all these other things kind of fall in its place as needed. We're not going to put the cart before the horse. 
you are number one. You are first priority. We give you these distractions, these buts, these excuses, these priorities, these competing things in our life. We thank you, Lord, for helping us to move into a place where you are first in every way so that we can make a difference for you in our day today. We love you. We thank you for this. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah, let's give God praise in this place. Thank you for joining us this morning. Join us next week as we continue to learn from God's word and apply it to our lives.